It is time for This Week in Location-Based Marketing. This is episode number 107, recorded live on December 7th, 2012. On today's show, the carriers strike back, broadcaster spins to spun, plus acquisition news from Urban Airship, fundings by ClearStory and Poshmark, and special guest, Spun co-founder, Scott Lindenbaum. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode number 107 of This Week in Location-Based Marketing. It is December 7th. We're recording this live between Asif Khan and myself. My name, of course, Rob Woodbridge from Untether.tv, located in Ottawa, Ontario, Canada. And live, live from Toronto, Ontario, Canada, Asif, take it away, buddy. Welcome. Thanks, bud. Um, yeah, Asif Khan, the Location-Based Marketing Association, 107 episodes in. Um, yeah, there's. Uh, we're back at it again. It's been a crazy, crazy busy week uh, for me. Um, a lot of travel again, as usual. Yes. Uh, two conferences, uh, well, three conferences, actually, uh, this week. So uh, it started in Toronto at home, uh, speaking at the iStrategy uh, conference here. With a uh, a great uh, group of folks from uh, Rogers and uh, Coca Cola and uh, Centricity and um, you know a few agency folks uh, and you know just just a phenomenal discussion around uh, location um, with a like five hundred plus uh, brand marketing people in the room. Wow, awesome! And then uh, went over to Miami and. Uh, Spoke at a uh, Latin American mobile payments conference, and so got to hear and see what was going on in in Latin South America around banking, and uh, a lot of the banks were up from the various countries. Uh, Telefonica gave a great presentation uh, about what they're what they're doing in the market. American Express and Mastercard were were very active around mobile payments uh, solutions in the market, and you know uh, it's interesting to contrast and see the differences you know, between sort of. The number of unbanked people in, uh, in in Latin America versus North America, uh, and what that means in terms of how mobile payments you know evolves. Uh, you know, obviously, uh, when you don't have you know as high a penetration of smartphones and things like that, you know, you you know SMS becomes a really interesting uh, proposition. Um, so yeah, anyhow, um, you know, good good conversation there and good discussion there, and then. Moved over to last night for our uh, launch of the LBMA in Atlanta, uh, our newest chapter there, um, and just a phenomenal reception from the local community. Um, you know, uh, we had a, a great keynote uh, that I delivered, and then a uh, uh, like just a killer panel. I actually titled the panel uh, the best panel ever, um, made up of uh, Tom Daly, uh, who heads up mobile global mobile operations at Coca Cola. Uh, Lewis Gump, uh, who's head of mobile at CNN, uh, Nico Duplessis, uh, who runs mobile at uh, the Weather Channel, and Matt Jones, who runs mobile at, at, at Home Depot. Um, you know, like so, just a phenomenal panel uh, and a lot of great uh, sharing of uh, ideas and, and thoughts and challenges as well. So it sounds it sounds like a uh, a phenomenal panel, and uh, it's one of those things that. Uh, I don't know what it is. The, the timing of it is great, and uh, certainly Coca-Cola is right at the middle of this. And I think that they, these guys are, are obviously people to be uh, to be listened to when it comes to what they do with everything. Uh, they invented branding. They invented marketing, product marketing, and placements. All these kind of things that uh, that you should be watching Coca-Cola for. Man, sounds like it. And Atlanta is a great place because you're at the at the center, right? You're in the middle of everything, yeah. and especially with uh, Coke and Home Depot. Very cool. Now, what have you got? What have you got lined up for for next week? Is it uh, is there anything that's happening, or are you uh, you winding down? Yeah, next next week's my last week of travel before the holidays. Right. I'm not doing anything after next week. So, I'll, you know, if anybody in Toronto wants to see me after next week, I'm around. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, so I'm heading out to San Francisco uh, for the uh, Mobile Loco Conference, which is on the 11th. Um, Mark Evans and his group are putting that on again. Um, and it's gonna, it's a phenomenal jam-packed day of uh, you know great speakers once again. So um, looking forward to that and uh, participating in that discussion. And that will be the end of my travels for 2012. Nice, 
And then you still qualify for the uh, Super Ambassadors Flying Club where you get your foot massage. Something like yeah. that, yeah. Well, let's see if there has to be somebody that does this as the ambassador to the location-based marketing world. I suppose that uh, you have volunteered, whether you like it or not. Yeah. Oh, and actually, one other thing I do want to mention is uh, we do have a uh, LBMA chapter event happening next week as well on the 13th uh, in Amsterdam or um, just outside of Amsterdam, actually. Um, so uh, the LBMA uh, Amsterdam chapter is hosting a, an event on the 13th as well. So uh, I won't be there, but many great people will. Oh, man. Oh, well, uh, it's good. It's probably going to be good to have you back in Toronto for an extended period of time, get to know your family again, I suppose. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Have a good Christmas. All right, well, we've got a uh, jam-packed show. Uh, this is this is really great because uh, I can't wait to uh, actually play you the uh, interview that we've got, uh, which is uh, featuring Scott Lindenbaum, who's the co-founder of a company called Spun, formerly Broadcaster, or something thereof, a transition from Broadcaster to a company called Spun. Uh, we definitely have some carrier news. We have some uh, some uh, loyalty news. Uh, lots of carrier news, in fact. Uh, we've certainly we've got some funding uh, acquisitions. Our good friends at Urban Airship are up to it again, and we'll talk about that. And of course, we have got our resource of the week talking about the omni-channel. Uh, what is it? Omni-channel marketing, right? The omni-channel yes. battle. This is a, a jam-packed show, so stick around for this whole thing before we get to these stories and much more. Two, two messages. One, do not forget that you can subscribe to this through iTunes. Very important. You'll get it first. You don't even have to think about it at all. You'll just, it'll just download to your device of choice, iOS. We've also in Stitcher Radio. We're also on BlackBerry Radio. We're in every place that you can get this. So do it in audio and video format. Second thing is, if you are coming to this show from Street Fight Mag or GPS Business News, welcome, everybody. If this is your first show, welcome. We thank them for syndicating this content. We are find that we are great, great, great partners, and we really appreciate the fact that they are pushing our content to you. So welcome, everybody. And thank you, guys, at Street Fight Mag and GPS Business News. All right, our first story. This, you know, we, we our first two stories kind of encapsulate the things that we've talked about quite a bit from the very, very, very beginning. 106 episodes. This is number 107. We've been talked about the power that the carriers hold. And uh, a while back, we talked about AT&T launched their location-based alerts. And they've finally rolled this rolled this thing out. This is a, an, a, an example of the power that a carrier has that nobody else has, which is reach into the customer. So AT&T launches this alerts nationwide. Pretty, pretty, pretty big. Yeah, uh, you know, I'm really happy about this because you know, I, you know, I've been on the uh, SMS geofencing, uh, you know, uh, geolocation uh, bandwagon for a long time. You know, I'm a big fan, uh, as you know, of what uh, O2 has been doing in the UK. Uh, you know, with this kind of a service, and uh, we've been we've been lax uh, in the North American market around you know carriers you know, starting to roll this stuff out. So. AT&T, you know, um, was, has been testing this for a while under the name Shop Alerts, um, powered on the back end by Placecast, and um, so now it's uh, it's going nationwide. And they've got some great brands that are already uh, have been using this: Gap, Staples, uh, Neiman Marcus, Duracell. Um, you know, a whole bunch of, of companies have been uh, have been using this uh, this platform. And so, uh, yeah, it's you know, if you're if you're a retailer, if you're a brand out there. And you want to get a message to an AT&T subscriber uh, to try and drive traffic, uh, increase footfall into your stores. Um, you want to geofence your properties and, and, and do that. Uh, this is a good, uh, you know, this is a good, a good opportunity because uh, obviously the obvious advantage of this model, um, and I've talked about it a lot, is you know the uh, you know the avoidance of having to drive app downloads by you know simply going to an SMS, which you know, works on all devices. Um, so we'll, it, it remains to be seen how many people will opt in on the network, uh, but I, I'm going to I'm going to go uh, out on a limb and say I think it's going to be significant. I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, a year from now it, it was well over fifty percent. Yeah, why wouldn't you opt into this if you're if you're an AT&T subscriber? I mean, they're going to be they're going to be pushing the the best deals. It just shows you that companies like Groupon. We went we railed on Groupon last week. I understand, but companies like Groupon are a service in somebody else's master product list, right? Something like this could disrupt something like Groupon in a second. Location-based deals by SMS from a carrier with how many subscribers, how many sales? Like this is, 
why wouldn't every single person automatically be signed up for this at, at point yeah. of sale, right? Because you, you might as well, you're not going to lose anything. You're just going to get deals. Right. Yeah. And, and in, a, in a slightly sidebar story, and I, I, I didn't mention this to you, Rob, so uh, I'll just throw it out there, though. But Verizon also launched a program this week uh, called Verizon Selects. And uh, it, it's slightly different in, in the way it, the, in the way it's delivered. It, it's more around uh, audience profiling. So um, you know the consumer still opts in, um, you know, with an intention of, of you know being messaged. Uh, but the uh, the range of messaging channels is not limited to SMS in the Verizon case. It's mobile ads, in app. It's SMS. It could be email, web, uh, or even even uh, print mail pieces. Uh, so they're basically collecting the data in an opt-in model, building audience profiles, and then uh, providing that out to uh, to marketers and retailers that want to use it. So, uh, slightly you know different approach to it. Uh, you know where the AT&T alert models, you know one-to-one -one sort of correlation between you defining what you're interested in and you getting uh, pushed uh, offers when you cross into geofences. This is more about you're agreeing to, you know, uh, share your data uh, on a wider basis. And you know what we'll do is uh, we'll include a link to the Verizon Selects um, service as well in the show notes. But you can go to alerts.att.com in order to find out a little bit about the alerts. Um, but again, you know, you know, this is all going to come down to it. Eventually, uh, AT&T is going to get into... Uh, you know, demographic selection and uh, psychographic selection and purchase history and what triggers and all those kind of things that this kind of the data that this kind of uh, service brings with it. But I just, uh, I mean, if you're in the coupon business, I, I would shudder. Carriers ultimately have access to the customers. You know what the carrier can do is that when you buy this device, they can turn it on automatically. Yeah. Right? How do you compete with automatically? Right? You don't. It's tough. It is, and and you know, speaking of tough, you know, this is this our second story is a great story, um, and and this this kind of demonstrates the power of a mobile. It's around mobile purchase or ticket purchasing. Uh, Turkcell and uh, Football Federation uh, offering mobile ticketing, but uh, when you explain it, we'll come back to the real power that I love about this thing, which is uh, which is on the on the follow up of this. So, uh, what Turkcell? This is this is for uh, soccer fans, right? Or football yeah. fans, uh, you know, better known as football yes. outside of North America. Um, yeah, so this is in Turkey. Uh, Turkcell, uh, you know, the biggest carrier in the market, working with the Turkish Football Federation, um, has enabled mobile ticketing. So basically, uh, what happens is is um, you buy your tickets via an SMS uh, text message, um, and then um, you know, again, so it works on you know all devices. It doesn't have to be smartphone. Uh, necessarily, um, you know, feature phones can can do this as well. Um, so you simply text uh, the word B I L E T, which is uh, you know uh, the word for ticket, um, uh, and uh, you uh, you know you can make that you make that purchase, and then it just gets uh, added onto your uh, to your regular phone bill. And that is what is what is so powerful is the uh, you know the uh, carrier billing in this whole thing, which again carriers can do you guys can't right this is one of those great things is that the carriers own that relationship and and uh this is why it's so important when we hear about um carriers in canada for example like rogers applying to become chartered banks i believe that this is the play that they're making the other side of it is that uh this is uh this is a seamless transaction right that that uh, I, the only thing i didn't understand was how people chose their seats Right, so I don't know. Understand because you texted the word, you know, the buy to to a, uh, you know, a, a short message, and then you got a ticket somehow, and then they scanned it in. And this shows even another layer is that for those people who don't have credit cards, those people who uh, you don't have to stand in line because it's not a printed ticket. This is just they had separate entrances to the games, and I think that this is pretty, this is a pretty significant shift. But the big thing for me is owning that relationship with the care, you know, the carrier to the consumer, and being able to. Yeah. It's about simplicity, yeah. right? It's about making it really easy and not overcomplicating, you know, a process. You know, um, you know, we talk about, you know, how do you drive adoption around mobile payments? And we talked about this a lot at the conference in, in Miami. And, you know, at the end of the day, there has to be real utility uh, in it for the consumer. And it has to be, you know, very easy um, for them as well. And that, that's what I like about this is, you know, it's so simple. You, you just text, you know, a word. You can, uh, you know, the payment goes on your bill. 
you know, I you know obviously I, can't, I haven't had a chance to play with it because I'm not in Turkey. But you know, to answer your question, I would guess that when you text it, it comes back with a message that you know with a bunch of options that say you know what range of ticket yeah. price do you want? Um, you know, choose from a, a series of links. Uh, you know that then also define what section you're sitting in. Um, probably something like that. But. Simplicity, though, or, or it just gives you the best seat available, and then you just uh, in, in your price range. This is driven by a company called One Bip. Yes. Uh, so if you're interested in knowing a little bit more about them, go to onebip.com. You know. Yeah, One Bip's part of a company called Neo Mobile. Yeah. Uh, so they're a carrier building platform. Yeah. I mean, and this is what I, this is when when you make it seamless like this. Um, you know, this is this could be the wallet of the future, which is just direct direct to carrier, right? Um, None of this uh, storing cash in a in a uh, PayPal, which I I believe in PayPal as well. But uh, you, you know this is this is pretty significant when you can do that, and you have a, an allowance or a, an ability to get some credit with your uh, with your carrier company. Because you know what, yeah. out of everything that you pay very quickly, what do you pay most quickly when they threaten to cut you off on your cell phone? Yeah, it's pretty pretty quickly. They have the power to do that. Don't turn off my TV. All right, so Turkcell uh, working with the Football Federation on M ticketing, which is very cool. Now, here's a, uh, an interesting um, retail story. Uh, CVS uh, launching their mobile gift card exchange program. This is done uh, with, a, with a company called uh, Plastic Jungle. Explain what this is, and, and then we'll talk about it, Asif. Well, I'll start with talking about Plastic Jungle. Sure. I mean, everybody knows who CVS is. But um, you know, Plastic Jungle is, is one of a group of companies uh, out there. Others include CardSwap. Uh, that are focused on this idea of, uh, you know, the, the whole gift card market is, is, is a massive market at the moment uh, and, and still growing. And so, you know, people, you know, love, you know, love to buy gift cards and give them out to, you know, at Christmas or birthdays or whatever to people, um, you know, for restaurants, for retail stores. And what happens with gift cards is, is that, you know, either they don't get used at all, in, in many cases, they just sit around forever, and the retailers already got their money. Um, you know, so but they have to maintain that balance uh, on the on their balance sheet. Um, you know, so, so there's issues around that. But more often than not, you know, you use the, the you, you use a gift card, um, and you know, you you buy whatever it is you're buying, and then there's this residual amount that stays on the gift card that's you know like a dollar and thirty two cents or, or something like that. Uh, you know, on a Starbucks card, which you know you typically would use, um, but you know, I'm talking more like you know, uh, you know, an Old Navy card or something yeah. like that. Um, and, and so, you know, what do you do with these cards that you've got like four or five of them in your wallet? You know, with all with a you know dollar thirty two balance on them, right? Not a lot. So they just sit there, and, and you forget about them in, in most cases. So what the, what these guys have done is is CVS is. The first time I've seen a retailer step up and do this, so you know, kudos to them for for uh, for partnering with Plastic Jungle on this. But effectively, what they're saying is, you walk into any one of the 7,400 CVS stores, um, and you take your whatever gift cards that you have uh, in your wallet with these small residual amounts, and you can trade them in for the total value of of you know the accumulated value of those cards, those residual values. In exchange for a CVS gift card in that in that full amount, which you can then use to you know shop because you're already in the store. So all of this happens in the store, which is interesting. And then Plastic Jungle takes those gift cards that that you're giving up, you're turning over, and and you know has a marketplace for uh, for reselling them. Say, uh, I mean, this this market is big, and uh, how many of those uh, you know Tim Horton cards do I have with you know ninety two cents on them sitting in my car, and I just you know keep buying new ones? But this is you know it's an interesting plan. I just showed you like a Coleman card that's twenty five percent off the face value of Coleman's. And before all of these things existed, you used to be able to do this on eBay. You could buy gift cards for you know hundred dollar yeah. gift cards for seventy five dollars, and this was well, this was great because gift cards expire. It's ridiculous that it's that I say that, but gift cards are not the equivalent in cash. They they have an expiration date for the most part and if you don't use them yep. they go away so you might as well get some value out of them it's interesting that CVS is doing this I think that they're missing that mobile piece where you can actually redeem from a mobile device now you still have to print them out and bring that that uh, uh, you know the the card or the equivalent of the uh, the card gift card um, printout with you to get the get the get the, the exchange and, and it would be great if, if uh, you know, you could be doing it inside of the CVS I'm in the CVS and I got all these cards and whether it's in my mobile wallet or not and it's and I could 
I could pool them all together and sell them and then get that cash right while I'm in line, right? Uh, and I think that that's, that's really what's going to make this thing work very well is, is as we said in the previous story, just re remove the friction. But it's pretty cool. It, I mean, you can you can check out Plastic Jungle at plasticjungle.com. And uh, if you, you're going to have to Google, but, yeah? Yeah, and by the way, I should point out, I, I know I was throwing out the, you know, $1.32 and 92 cents you said, but there there is a minimum. There, ha there has $10. to be $10, $10 yeah. on, on these cards that you're trading in. Yeah. Uh, so I should, I should just say that. It, it, it's a, yeah, yeah, that's too bad. Because uh, if I could, if I could trade in my, you know, my $31 left uh, gift cards and I could get $30 in CVS bills, but I think that, uh, this is this is an interesting story, and um, I, I hopefully they're going to do a follow up to find out how effective this was in converting into real customers. But um, you know, we were talking about this before we actually started filming about you know it's about also for me it's about rewarding people while they're in store, right? So they've got all these uh, places in the store you can do this and you can redeem these coupons that that don't belong to CVS and convert them into CVS coupons or gift cards. And I think that look, if I'm in store, don't you've already enticed me. I'm there. I'm about to make a purchase. Don't don't take away the cash. Don't take that out of your pocket. Do it so that it entices me to come in. And I think that's one of the the key things that they should be doing here. This is about this is about bringing people into stores. It's not about converting them and giving them discounts while they're standing in line. So hopefully they're doing that. So I mean, if you're interested in it, uh, you know, obviously do a search for CVS, but you can you can uh, get to uh, plasticjungle.com and it'll explain it and go buy a couple of those uh, gift cards for cheap. They make good presents. Yeah. All right. Our first our fourth story. Uh, is about this service that they're actually looking for funding. It's a, it's a it's a company called or an idea called Capsuling Me. Why don't you explain it, Asif? Uh, actually, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to run a quick video here, just a few okay. minutes of a video, and then we'll come back and explain it. When I was a child, I used to play this game called Time Capsule. You take your favorite toys, photos, your personal writings, put it in a box, and bury it underground hoping that one day in the future someone will come and discover your treasure. Now think about all those moments that you filmed. All those sad, bored memories sitting there in your phone, camera, hard drive or Facebook wall waiting to be relevant for someone. Don't you think your work deserves a proper stage? That's why we created a new web platform that brings the time capsule game into the online world. Now, you can record an experience, put it in a time capsule, and have it bound to the place where you made it. Instead of it getting lost in YouTube, buried among millions of other videos, you can now leave it to a friend or a stranger that will visit this place in the future. Making any place in the world your stage, and all people passing by your potential audience. All right, so that's a, a little bit of a summary of capsuling me. Now, what do you think about that, Asif? You know, I think you know. I'm a big fan of uh, you know content uh, tagged to locations. Um, you know, the idea of it being contextual uh, and uh, being shared specific to uh, to a location. So, uh, you know, from that perspective, I like I like this idea. It's not completely new. Uh, obviously, you know, broadcaster that we're going to be talking about in a little bit. Um, you know, does this eavesdrop? Uh, you know, there's there's a number of, of platforms that. Are focused on you know um, you know creating content and leaving it you know tagged to to a location. What's a little bit different about this platform? Um, so, so you know again to just to define it for the audience out there is is you know what we're talking about is site specific media um, you know generated on a mobile device and 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 left you know at a specific location. What's a little bit different about Capsuling.me is there from again this is a concept not a company. Yet. Uh, is is a time element um, and a um, and a user uh, you know a, a user um, uh, limiting uh, factor to it as well. So the, so it's kind of like you know the company's called Capsuling.me. They're going after the idea of a time capsule, right? Uh, that we you know we all did as kids you know in school somewhere uh, along the way where you know we fill up the giant thing and you know bury it in the school backyard somewhere for. You know, a uh, hundred years from now, somebody to open up and uh, and and learn about their history. Um, so it's a little bit like that uh, is what they're going after here. Is that you know, but 
in a virtual way, you know, uh, you know, connected to a specific location, content being left in. But you can do them on a personal level, is what they're suggesting. You can, you know, set up your own Google Circle kind of thing, uh, private capsules for family, uh, for friends. Um, you know, they're they're going after uh, artists and journalists and and uh, you know people like that to create uh, capsules. So I mean, conceptually, I like it. Um, you know, obviously, as a as a business model, it's challenging. I think that that's the key thing here is that uh, you know conceptually we love broadcaster as well is this is ability to leave a legacy uh, at a location at a specific time at a specific date or just always on. And uh, I think that that's going to be their challenge here as well. And they're trying to raise money. They haven't raised a lot, 170 euros. Um, but if you know if you're interested in this, you saw the video. Go to capsuling me, capsuling. That's cap s u l i n g dot me, capsuling me. And and you know what? I'm always fascinated in this because I believe in living history, right? And and yeah. if if I can do this, if, oh. this this is something to me that 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 uh, I would love to do it. And, and you know. I, it can happen overnight is that boy wouldn't it be great i just keep thinking about that if you documented your entire life and the places that you've been and the locations that you are and your kids and your grandkids and your great grandkids and your great 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 grandkids are able to hear the story that you tell in your own voice right that this is this is this is the future of storytelling i definitely believe that and, and you know i applaud them for uh, you know trying to you know by the way this is a berlin uh, based company um, and they're trying to raise capital, and they're they're doing it, you know, via crowdfunding uh, type of model. So, you know, um, you know, there there's still time. You can get in there yeah. if you want. You know, throw throw, throw 20, 20 euros in there and help these guys out. Yeah, I I, I like this, and and um, man, I, I hope they succeed. Somebody's got to succeed because, you you know, broadcaster uh, who we're going to talk about right now. Broadcaster went down this path as well, which was the the personal curated, uh, you know, always on location based radio station of stories, right? So it's historical. They did this great, great, great. Um, um, I, I don't even know. They had this great project with the nine uh, eleven um, foundation. So for at mm -hmm. the memorial at nine eleven. They would talk about survivor stories, and you could hear the survivors talking about uh, 9/11. They could hear survivors talking right. uh, at that location, or um, you know, family members talking about their you know people, their family members that died at 9/11. And I think that this it was such it, it's a powerful way to to capture this kind of stuff. And I think that that's what capsuling me is trying to do here, uh, in the way that they described it. And and uh, I wish them all the best. But it didn't work out so well for broadcaster. I mean, they they've which is our fifth story. They, they've they've taken a They've spun around into uh, creating a company called uh, called Spun, uh, which is another mobile app, a curated uh, news mobile app, location-based curated news app. But uh, so broadcaster didn't work out so well for them, and uh, there's a number of reasons, and we're going to talk talk about that a little bit later. But why don't you talk about what Spun is? Um, well, I mean, I mean, so so if we think of broadcaster as a uh, you know, an app again for for leaving audio content, uh, you know, tagged to specific locations. You know, Spun, um, you know, is really about um, taking content not not limited to audio. Um, you know, still connected to locations, but widening the circle really uh, around that. You know, how you define what a location is. So it's no longer just you know uh, Central Park, uh, but it might be you know the entire neighborhood. Around uh, Central Park, where it might be all of Midtown, it, it is is a location as a hyper local community. Um, you know, um, so so I think this is really interesting. It, you know, it kind of moves it more into kind of the world of what you know Patch should have been over at AOL for me. Um, and uh, so I really like this. I think this is a a, a nice uh, a nice way to pivot. Um, you know, I think it recognizes challenges, uh, you know, around, you know, at the moment anyways, challenges around, you know, simply defining a, a, uh, a content story around too, too narrow of a definition of, of a location in some respects. Yeah, and, and you'll hear from, from the interview that, that uh, will come up in a second with, uh, with Scott Lindenbaum, who's one of the co-founders. Is that uh, he'll give you the reasons why they they migrated uh, migrated from broadcaster into something called spun and, and you know I uh, got to tell you though that uh, the stories that they said and this interview will be up in a couple of weeks on untether.tv if if hopefully you'll, you'll remember that and you'll be able to go and, and take a look at it but the app itself is is beautiful 
Um, and you know the the process by which they built this app. He walks Scott walks us through, and uh, I mean it's 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 part design, it's UX and UI, but it's psychological, it's psychographic. I mean it's everything that you can imagine. It's how we we create habit. It's there's little reward yeah. intonations like when you when you click a story and you save a story, it it, it plays music and uh, you know I'm. Uh, I, I, that the conversation is astounding around this thing. But one of the key things that they did is that they they somehow got on the radar of Apple and went back and forth with Apple to help co not co-create, but get advice and feedback on the way that they've built this interface and this design. And, and it's worked very, very, very well. And I think, in fact, the music of the app was created by the drummer for Wilco. Of all people, right? It, it just this is this is what New York brings, and and um, it's available right now. I think in seven cities, including New York City, all the main areas. They're going to expand to twenty or twenty-five in the coming uh, in the coming months. And uh, this was it, it's just a it's a really interesting app. And the first story that I ever looked on it, which was last week when they when they launched it, was this great story in New York about cover albums that have been shot in New York City. So these are uh, recording artists, yep. Bob Dylan, uh, uh, Simon and Garfunkel. These are these are uh, artists that had had their the cover of their albums that were filmed or shot in in New York City, and they superimposed the. Uh, this is just an article from a New York uh, magazine, but they superimposed the the um, the album cover over where they actually is, you know, the location. So so you saw everything around it, um, and then what what's so cool about Spun is that. As you're scrolling through the story and you're seeing the uh, the photo of the of the uh, album, it's there's a little map at the top that tells you where it is, and so as you when you you drop down the map and you can see where all of the albums are that you've just looked at, and then if you favorite that article, gives you this nice little uh, you know music that says hey thank you, but then it's it, it it also indicates that when you are nearby to one of those significant spots, we will tell you. That you're nearby the Bob Dylan album, or you're in the subway with Simon and Garfunkel's album. Yeah, that like that whole experience was just it's 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 very well created. I, I it enhances things that I think that uh, that we're only starting to now understand. But that's that's what Spun is about. Pretty cool. That's a long that's a long way to explain that, but I got enthusiastic. So Spun uh, is uh, spun out of uh, Broadcaster. And broad and capsuling me is is trying to do what broadcaster was doing. So this is going to be interesting to watch as these things these things happen like this. Have I said enough about Spun? Yeah. Well, let's hear from the man himself. Let's then. do that. If you're interested in Spun, go to getspun.com. It's iOS only right now, obviously. Um, so go and check it out if you have an iPhone. And uh, here is Scott Lindenbaum, the co-founder of Spun and Broadcaster, talking about the transition. Why move from broadcaster? to spun. Scott, take it away. Scott, welcome, man. Thank you for doing this. Hey, Rob. Good to uh, be back on, on, on Tether, man. Um, it's my pleasure to be here. I love the fact that we I can have a, you know, having you back is great. And, and you know, I, I reached out because I noticed that the website was down, right? Broadcaster said, hey, sign up for the new new broadcaster. And uh, I waited and waited and waited. And then all of a sudden spun, spun out of this. And I thought, you know, I like I gotta get Scott on. I gotta hear what what happened because, uh, as you know, Asif Khan and myself from the Location Based Marketing Association loved Broadcaster, loved the application, loved the concept of it, and I think it's it's still going to have its day. But uh, just gotta know, gotta know what happened to uh, Broadcaster and uh, and what Spun is. So, man, why don't we why don't we start there? Yeah, what sure. happened? No, it's um, it's interesting because I think your response to Broadcaster was actually um, a response that we saw almost across the board. Um, and people like yourself and many other people in the media uh, and partners said this is great. And what we saw was really interesting. Over the course of a year and a half with Broadcaster, uh, even though everyone we talked to said, wow, that's a great concept. I would love to be on the Brooklyn Bridge hearing about the Brooklyn Bridge. Only about 7% of the users ever did that exact behavior. Um, and that behavior we defined as being within uh, eyesight of the place that was being referenced by the audio. Now, interestingly enough, about 76%, so the overwhelming majority of broadcaster users, consumed content, even though they could consume it any, from anywhere in the world, we are in just about every continent, um, within 50 miles of where they lived. So they would start where they lived, and then they would immediately punch out. You know, they you know, go like that on their phone, and um, and then they would look for 
the things that were interesting to them, not necessarily where they were right then, but in neighborhoods that maybe they were familiar with, that they had an emotional connection to. Um, and that was the majority of the consumption. Uh, only about 17% of it was uh, content of like a thousand miles away. So we saw the travel use case was fairly small, meaning a virtual travel thousand miles away. The actual immersive use case, which I think is what we everyone really loved in theory, was extremely small. But the city level use case was huge. And we actually had really good re-engagement around that. And we also saw that professional content was being engaged with to the tune of 10,000 times more than the user-generated content. Um, and I think the reason for that is really, really simple. If you look at something like YouTube, which really, especially in the early days, exploded based on um, user-generated content, you see a service that can draw in 24 hours of video every minute from anywhere in the world. But then every day you get a handful, right, that really bubble up that are great. Now, once you limit that to even just the city level, it becomes very unlikely you're going to get a great video every day. And when you, you know, or audio or whatever, and then when you limit that to my block, it's basically impossible. And so there's, um, there's this thing that happens where you can court the UGC and you can eventually get that user-generated content to be great, but you can't get it to be great often enough to retain the user who expects the kind of churn of content that we have now in our minds from things like Twitter and Facebook. So we put all this together, we collected all these metrics, and we said, you know, okay, this is rad, but we've got to find a way to create something that has all professional content, that uh, is intimate insofar as it's on a city and neighborhood level, uh, and that doesn't have a physical hurdle to, the, to uh, usability. So I went out to Stanford and studied with this guy, BJ Fogg, who does something called behavior design. And, um, <laughs> and uh, uh, he applies uh, behavioral science and psychology to the idea of uh, UI, UX design. And he says there's six hurdles to ability. And always when we create an application, we're trying to create an ability shift. We're trying to make some behavior that you already do easier to do. Right, so um, there's six hurdles. Right, one. I'll see if I can remember them all. Um, it's a test. You've got yeah. It's a test. BJ will be proud. Um, time. Right. Um, so when someone says I don't have the time, what they basically mean is it's too difficult for me. Right. I don't have the time. I don't have the money. Uh, it's too expensive. Too difficult for me. It is too physically difficult for me to do it. So if you look at a very simple behavior like going for a run, somebody's got a broken leg. It's too difficult. Right. They don't have running shoes, too expensive. They work seven days a week, not enough time. Um, now, when you look at some of the other ones, brain cycles. How hard is it for me to understand what I'm supposed to do? Um, so with something like Broadcaster, this is a totally new kind of behavior, especially outside of like a walking tour. And so it's very difficult for people to conceive, what are they asking me to do? And then the last two are, um, does it, uh, is it socially deviant? Um, in other words, is it unacceptable in my social group to do this? So, for example, if the behavior that you want is, um, you know, to uh, connect with strangers around you, to um, go on a flash date, right? And it's, uh, but in your social circle, people are very conservative when it comes to dating. You're probably not going to do it. It's too difficult for you to break the moray, right? Uh, and then the last one is, um, does it break a pre-existing behavior that's a part of your daily life? So if, for example, you want somebody to do the behavior of come to my bar every Saturday and you say it's cheap, it's easy to get to, it's close to your house, you don't have to think about it, we will send you directions via SMS, we'll do all these things, but that person goes to visit their mother who's undergoing cancer treatment every Saturday, you're never going to be able to break that behavior. So no matter what, no matter what you do, you don't have a chance. And if even one of these six things... Uh, is too difficult, they won't do it. So with Broadcaster, when you look at it, you've got, okay, you've got physical hurdle, which is I gotta have headphones and I gotta put them in. You've got social deviance, right? Am I with a group of people? It's inappropriate for me to put my headphones in. You've got um, a mental issue. You know, how difficult is it for me to understand? I don't do this anywhere else in my life. It's not a behavior I'm already doing that I need to be made easier. So as a result, we captured a lot of people. I mean, we had about 50,000 um, monthly active users. 
50,000. Yeah, that's not bad. Um, we had about 250,000 try, try it out. Um, but what we found was we were hitting this ceiling. And so um, we retooled. Scott Lindenbaum, the co-founder of Spun. Look, this interview, really, this episode is over an hour long. It's full of these nuggets, like like what you just heard. But it really gets into the, the reasons why they designed the app the way they did. And the psychology that went into the designing of the app. And integrating the things like uh, habit forming. It's, it's amazing. Anyway, like... So impressed with Scott. So, so, so impressed with Scott. If you want to download it, go to getspun.com or just look for Spun in the uh, App Store, iOS only right now. And he'll explain why in that uh, episode as soon as it gets posted. So keep a lookout. Hey, and if you really want to know when these episodes get posted, like this one, and you don't want to sign up for iTunes, sign up for the email list and you'll, you'll get it in your inbox as soon as it's out there. So we thank Scott for participating in this weekend location-based marketing. All right, on to some funding news, Asif. Uh, some funding and acquisition news. Uh, you know, we have talked about this, uh, our first story, we've talked about this company quite a bit. Uh, Urban Airship, certainly the darling when it comes to notifications and in-app notifications. They have acquired a, another company called Tello. The last acquisition they did was about a year ago. Um, and so they've been on a slow acquisition strategy, but I think they're very strategic in their acquisitions. And Tello, this version of Tello makes sense for a company like Urban Airship. So uh, you want to give people a reminder what Urban Airship is, and then we'll talk about Tello. Yeah, Urban Airship is uh, one of the uh, the leaders in uh, in push notifications in app. Um, so you know many of the uh, you know the apps that uh, that we love to play with, um, you know are. You know, from Shopkick to Walgreens, uh, ESPN's app, um, you know, use um, Urban Airship's uh, technology on the back end to do push notifications in inside of those apps. So that's what they do. Um, and Tello, um, this company that they've acquired, is a company that is focused on sort of uh, helping brands uh, create and manage Passbook, Apple Passbook, um, uh, you know, Platforms, I guess, is 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 the, is the word I want. Um, yeah. So if, if if you're trying to create or manage a uh, you know a pass for within Passbook, that's the word I wanted. A pass. It should have been easier than that. <laughs> Sometimes language uh, sucks. Then uh, that that's what Tello does. So if you think about it, then the combination of Tello and Urban Airship starts to make some interesting uh, sense, right? If you you know the marriage of push notifications with passes in inside of Passbook. That's a lot of peas. Passes inside a yeah. passbook. All right. Anyhow, um, you know, I, I like it. So, so this is, you know, and and Scott uh, Scott Kavitin over at uh, Urban Airship, you know, super smart guy. Uh, these guys know what they're doing. The acquisition path might be uh, slow, uh, but I think it's it, it's very strategic. So do I. I like this. I, I like this a lot. In fact, I've I've interviewed Scott a couple of times on Untethered.tv, and each time. Uh, it's just basically two guys screaming about the, uh, their love of mobile, right? It's just back and forth, blah, 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 and it's great. It's very energetic. And and uh, actually, uh, Joe Beninato, who is the CEO of Tello, uh, also interviewed him back in his previous business, which was called Tello. Uh, yep. But they did uh, almost uh, instant feedback for service industry, and you know that didn't stick. Which I really liked, actually. Yeah, we talked about it. Uh, we did way back yeah. when, somewhere like episode twenty or something. I don't know. Oh yeah, yeah. I like the idea as well. It just it, you know when you when it comes to uh, pattern and habit forming and uh, changing behaviors, and it just seemed like he was up against it. He only had a you know a, a you know a small number of customers that were using it, and until he he went to Pass Tools, and you can find information about these guys at PassTools.com. Um, for for Teloix and uh, and this relationship with they have with Urban Airship, but he said that really what really kicked it off was opening up uh, an API to enable this inside of other people's apps. And I think that this is this is one of those key things. You know what else? What always surprises me, and this is how smart Urban Airship is, and how smart Tello and Joe and Scott and their entire teams are, is that you know we talk about getting into mobile and the first steps of getting into mobile. And people always think, okay, I got to make it like, you know, a, a, you know, a responsive design website. I got to redesign my website. I got to put it all together. And then, oh man, I need an app. And then, oh man, I need this and I need this. Well, here's a really great way to get into mobile. Here's a tip is that use something like, uh, you know, Apple's Passbook, right? Create a coupon, yeah. create incentive to buy and put it into the Passbook. Don't build an app, just build a coupon to be in Passbook. It's the same way that I use, I think that Zappos is brilliant when they, instead of building a Zappos app, 
they built a Zappos catalog and put it into the, you know, not through the app store, but through the bookstore for app for iOS. Right. And, you know, you've got you've got to be able to test the water. So don't build this huge app or this infrastructure. Totally. Go build Passbook. I mean, this is an avenue to 160 million users. You know, just get on mobile. Mobile does not mean app. It also could mean podcast, audio, video podcast, and it can be mass. It, in some respects, it's no different than what we started with at the top of the show. You know, the the, the you know the importance of the carrier in terms of right. reach. Absolutely. Right. The same conversation happens here in terms of you know passbook and things like that. It's just it's an opportunity to a wide base um, without you having to worry about building your own app and driving downloads and all, all those th all those challenges. Well, and Pastels is one way to do it. Right, it's a drag and drop. It's a what you see is yep. what you get interface to be able to build the to build passbook um, apps. So, man, like there's there's just that tip alone for some of you guys is going to be worth gold, worth sponsoring this episode or this entire podcast if you ask me. If you're interested, go to urbanairship.com or you can go to tello.com or passtools.com. They'll all take you to one spot. And this is, I think we both agree, like they share investors, Tello and Urban Airship. Uh, this is an industry that's going to be growing simply because it's one that's going to be big um, for Passbook because of uh, Apple's reach. But this is a good, and you can start to think about the potential. This is a great match. This is a great match for two companies. It's logical. So we're all for it. What do you think about Urban Airship and Tello? Reach out. Let us know. You know how to reach us. For those that are new, on tether at gmail.com or seif at the lbma.com. All right, our first funding story, uh, clear story. This um, this is a, a great concept. They raise nine million dollars. You know, we are inundated with data, and the data is in multiple locations. Somebody is going to strike gold when they are able to bring all that data in one spot, find a common layer of data, and then make decisions based on that data. Infer, and that's what I guess Clear Stories business model is. You're okay with this. I, I, you know I'm a data <laughs> geek and I love this stuff. Um, you know, and I love the approach that Clear Story is taking here. So, first of all, this is a funding story. So, nine million bucks is coming from uh, Kleiner Perkins, uh, Caulfield and Byers, uh, Anderson, uh, Andreas and Horowitz, uh, uh, and Google Ventures are the uh, the key leaders in this one. Um, and yeah, I mean. There's gazillions and gazillions of bytes of data uh, being generated out there, um, and more and more of it coming, growing at an exponential rate, um, and it's coming in all forms and shapes and sizes, um, you know, from all sorts of different places. And you know how how you store that data, how you access that data, um, you know what you do with that data um, in, in terms of making you know business decisions and. Uh, you know, and taking actions upon it is is a key problem. And uh, you know, the um, you know, it's one thing to collect data; it's another thing to actually be able to analyze it in an effective way that can, you know, be a positive, you know, create a positive impact on your business. And um, you know, what Clear Story is basically saying is, is there's a short shortage of people who are capable of doing that job, the data analyst job. Um, and they're building a platform that is going to do that for you. So. Um, I love the example that uh, in the story that I read that um, Sharmila Shahani Mulligan, who's the founder uh, of this company, um, uh, said. So I'm, I'm actually going to read this because I, I like how, uh, how how she describes this. So she said, uh, "A company might track uh, activity on its Facebook launch page as it's happening, as well as on Twitter and from Omniture or Google Analytics, and once." actually start playing games. She's talking about a video game here. Um, the company can work in data about who's playing it, who's playing it, where they're playing it from, uh, from an Xbox Live perspective. And over the next couple of days or weeks, it might start analyzing its own sales data, its marketing spend, reviews from gaming websites, and perhaps data from a service such as Nielsen um, uh, on consumer awareness. And this is the problem. Like, there's so much data. Uh, you know, if you're, if, you know, if you if you're Microsoft and and you got this game platform in there, and you're trying to figure out, and you're spending ad dollars, and I and we talked about this last night, on the on the panel at Coke, uh, you're spending ad dollars in multiple uh, forms of media to try and and build awareness around this game this game that you put out there or your EA Sports, uh, in in the example that she's giving here, 
you know, you're, you're pulling data in, you know, you know and, and you're measuring performance on, on your ad spend across so many different platforms. Um, you know, how do you start to make sense of that? How do you start to correlate it? Is there a master dashboard? Um, and that's the kind of thing that we're talking about here is, you know, the, the ability to do the analyst work. So anyways, I don't want to go too much into it. I love this company. I love what they're doing and glad they got nine million bucks to uh, to go do more. It is a great story because it tells a great story. And, and uh, I think that this is, you and I are both the same way. We love data and uh, we hate to see it get spoiled. And if you're going to collect data, don't let it spoil. And I think that Clear Story is one of those companies. And among others that are going to help in this and create a new bar of automation for uh, understanding the data that's coming in. So if you're interested, go to clearstorydata.com. And, uh, and boy, oh boy, take a look at them. Nine million bucks. Good for them. And Andreessen Horowitz, man. Mark Andreessen, the guy is funding the Valley himself. Well, with Horowitz, but he, he's funding everything. God, God love him. Yeah. God love him. All right, our, our uh, last funding story uh, is a company called Poshmark, and, and they raised a little bit of money. And this, you know, I didn't believe this to begin with. I didn't believe how uh, insane this, uh, this little community is. But man, you know, when I dove into it, I got lost in people's closets. So Steve, talk about this. First, how much did they raise? They raised 12, uh, 12 million. Uh, it's a Series B for them. It's led by Mendel Ventures, um, and it's got... Uh, Mayfield Fund, Inventus Capital, and Softech uh, VC also, uh, which were in the Series A, uh, have uh, have uh, participated in the second round here as well. Um, yeah, so twelve million. What bucks. is it? Um, tell, tell, I mean, Poshmark is a, a very interesting concept. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm describing it as uh, you know Craigslist uh, plus eBay, um, you know, for uh, selling this stuff in your closet. And uh, you know it's it's really it's really interesting, but doing it in a very mobile uh, oriented way. Uh, I think you, you you described it as kind of you know the same, but with with a Pinterest look and feel. Yeah. Um, and it's uh, you know it's it's very interesting to me because you know the challenge with something like that is you know with with Craigslist or or eBay is if I have stuff in my house I want to sell, I got to go around, I got to you know take all these photos, and then I got to upload them to you know the site, and I got to you know post them up there and put a price and there's all these steps you got to do and basically they're they're just automating all of that in a very simple easy way in a very pinterest like way um and um yeah selling the clothes in your closet but <laughs> it's interesting but it's amazing like i i pulled up this one example i'll pull it up again here for those who are watching is that annie's closet which is just one of them um and uh, she is bananikins is her name. She has 85,496 followers, 162 listings. And it's basically like exposing your closet, reducing the price and letting people buy from your closet. And then, you know, there's even bartering and exchanges. I'll change that exchange of that blouse for these pants. Yeah. And, like, and, and you know, the, the filming is on the photography is beautiful. Like this, this is, uh, you know, I, I think I chuckled when I saw this to begin with, but then I thought I saw this on eBay. There was a trend a long time ago along in this, in this world of, of people that would just uh, recycle their clothes. They'd buy it, wear it for a season and then put it up on eBay. They put up their entire closet on eBay. And this is just that. And people were, were, yeah. were um, funding. And I think I probably read about this in either Crush It or uh, 4 Hour Workweek on, on company, on p humans, people that were selling the, their, their stuff unused dishes, lamps, chairs, clothes, shoes, and here it is called Poshmark.com. It's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah, and they even do like, uh, I, was, I was reading uh, further on about these guys, and they even do like uh, meetups. Like they'll have like what they call posh parties, posh parties. Um, where, you know, women can get together and, uh, you know, buy jewelry or, you know, whatever. I think it's 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 a um, uh, this is this is very interesting. Like here's two hundred and ten thousand followers in in a service like this. It's so yeah. They've obviously got the uh, they've got the ear and the eye and uh, the attention of the appropriate demographic for this. And uh, boy oh boy, this is something. So twelve million dollars. It, it's it's astounding. Like that's a that's a lot of money. But boy, they said that there was a hundred million dollars in um, in sales that have flown through uh, Poshmark in the last year, hundred million bucks. Uh, so this seems this seems about right. I don't know what their percentage is. I don't know how much it works, but they must take a, a shaving off the top like eBay would do. But uh, yeah, but boy, this this is uh, rich in demographic data. So if you combine uh, Poshmark's data with uh, Clear Story's ability to uh, decipher the data, you got a winning story here. 21 million bucks. 
Those are two great companies, two great fundings. If we missed yours, come on. It's your fault. I keep saying this, man. We will run the story. I'm watching this, and you know, we we got a you know a huge following of the show now, um, and, and a lot of great interaction going on. And you know, you know, we'd love to have you on as a sponsor. Uh, you know, it's a great way to uh, you know get your message across. And uh, you know, Rob and I would uh, you know would, would love to uh, to work with you on uh, on making that happen. So. Uh, you know, sponsors out there, we're we're willing to uh, to uh, to take you on. Exactly. You know what? You know what I find. You know what I find to see as we're transitioning into our last piece, the resource of the week. I don't know about you, but but you know, our our numbers are are going up. And if you give us a second here to talk about this, our numbers are going up exponentially. And we've got some great syndica syndication partners uh, in GPS Business News and Street Fight Mag, and and we're looking for others, obviously. But but. I find that all of a sudden, um, you know, sometimes when, when I'm preparing for this and I do a little bit more prep than I than I did before, I'm not off the cuff as I used to be because I start to get nervous about not knowing my stuff. And and uh, and then I start to, you know, think about what I'm going to say to the audience as we're talking about this because the audience is growing and growing and growing and the reach is growing and growing and growing and I don't want to be the grumpy old man anymore. So I get a little nervous having this much of an audience and I think it's great for the first time. It was easy when it was just your mom and my mom watching this right? <laughs> exactly yeah yeah and even my no, mom said I'm you... right with you and it, but uh you know the nice thing is is that uh you know we uh you know we we see these stories we, see, we we watch what's going on around the world people send us stuff all the time and uh you know we're you know you know one thing we we can certainly say about this show if you, if you watch this show regularly or it's your first time is we're just going to tell it like we see it and 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 that's it we, you know we, we don't try and sugarcoat anything on this so no um, it's as simple as that. It's that easy, which is probably why sponsors don't like us. <laughs> not, that's a joke. All right, let's. Uh, our last piece here is a resource of uh, the week, and this is this is a, a white paper that's available at uh, thelbma.com forward slash research. Uh, this is called. Um, it's by Motorola Retail called uh, "Winning the Omni Channel Battle." Asif. Take it away. What is the omni-channel battle, and and uh, who's winning and who's fighting it? Well, the omni-channel battle is is something that retailers talk about all the time, um, and uh, you know it's this idea that there's you know um, you know that obviously aligns very much with our philosophy at the LBMA around location, which is you know multiple intersection points uh, from a media perspective in terms of engaging consumers, you know digital screens in store, in store audio. Uh, point of sale systems, uh, mobile couponing—you know—all of these things are channels uh, for engaging uh, engaging a, a potential shopper. Um, you know, uh, along the path to purchase, along the shopper journey. Uh, you know, uh, and um, so you know that—that's what the omni-channel piece is. Uh, you know, the battle, and you know, the the challenge around it is, is really about you know is is a couplefold. Is trying to understand which channel at the right time. You know, uh, in place, um, but also, you know, try. You know, the data story around that too, right? You know, the you know the clear story, you know, aspect of that, which is you know all the data that comes from all the different channels and how you start to build a you know a cohesive uh, you know business uh, proposition around that. So, you know, this this is a paper that uh, that they've put out here. It's got some interesting stats in it, uh, like they all do. Um, uh, one of them, uh, which I know. Uh, you know, you and I talked about beforehand. Uh, says that more than eighty percent of brick and mortar retailers will have wireless networks available in their stores by twenty seventeen. Yes. Yeah, and uh, you know my view on that too, which is twenty seventeen. Uh, you know, it's it's going to be a lot sooner than that. Um, so I'm not sure, you know, which retailers they talk to in, in this one. But you know, one thing I, I shared with you before we started uh, recording today is. You know, just this week alone, on the three conferences I was uh, involved in, uh, one in Canada, uh, here in Toronto, one in Miami, and one in Atlanta, in in all three cases, you know, there were retailers there, big, big retailers there uh, that I talked to, and every one of them, uh, every single one of them said for 2013, indoor location and positioning, uh, you know, based on Wi-Fi or Bluetooth or something like that, uh, is, is, is top on their agenda for, for things that they're looking at. So I have a hard time believing it's going to be 2017 before we're all enabled or 80% of the bricks and mortar retailers are enabled. It can't take that long. It can't take that long. Like that's five years from now. Yeah, yeah. there's no way it's going to take that long. Well, I mean, if, if Tim Hortons, uh, you know, a coffee chain here in Canada, 
um, can announce the fact that they're going to bring a Wi-Fi into their stores uh, 60 days ago and roll it out, and they're all now in Canada Wi-Fi enabled, like then there's no reason that something should take five years to get 80%. Yeah. But I have a question on that, Asif, is that, so, uh, you know, I, I use it in a coffee shop, like Starbucks, absolutely. It's yeah. worth my dollar or two bucks or whatever my coffee's going to cost to sit there forever and use it. And here in, in Ottawa, we've got a bridgehead. Same thing. It's a great it's a great environment. I sit and I do my work, free Wi-Fi. Um, but I, I've never once had an inclination to use the Best Buy free Wi-Fi, the Future Shop free Wi-Fi, or Sears free Wi-Fi, or any of the other, any retail outlet. Like to go through that process instead, well, I've got LTE or 3G connected on my phone. I've never considered that. So are people really using in-store Wi-Fi aside from restaurants and coffee shops? Well, I think that you have to look at that from two perspectives, right? So, so I think from the consumer's point of view, yes, I, I'll agree with you to some extent. I think there's, you know, there's a lot more work that needs to be done in defining the value in the mind of the consumer for connecting to that Wi-Fi network, right. sharing their location right. in that way, in a one-to-one, -one, you know, relationship way, um, you know, there has to be some value there, and there has to be a lot more work to uh, teach uh, and educate the consumer on as to what that is. Um, on the other side, however, I think there's lots of value for the for the retailer, the merchant, tons and absolutely tons of value, uh, on two levels. You know, one, you know, the consumer engagement one. Um, that requires education, but the opportunity to push coupons or offers that are relevant when you know exactly where they are and what aisle they're in and where they're standing in the store, there's there's an opportunity there. The simpler one, in some respects, um, and the bigger opportunity I think for for these guys is uh, you know the analytics uh, that can come from just watching uh, foot traffic patterns uh, around uh, around your stores, indoor mapping of your of your environments. Um, you know, planogramming exercises that can evolve from that. So, so I think there's there's big value in Wi-Fi or, or enabling uh, wireless network-wise your your retail environment, just in terms of tracking data. And actually, that in in, in some respects, you, you know, you don't even have to connect to the Wi-Fi network for the, at the consumer level. We can just track device IDs right. that are in proximity to those routers and. And, and and collect a lot of that data in the same way. And it's all done anonymously. It's just it's it's an interesting yeah. story. Is that you know, uh, the education not only on the consumer side about the benefits, but the retailers also have to offer a benefit. And and you know, there's certain things that I've said. And even I read this uh, this Motorola Omnichannel report study. Is that you think about what you can do with it? Is that if you convince somebody to how do you convince somebody if you're a retailer to come onto your Wi-Fi network? And 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 perhaps it is a uh, an automatic loyalty. Uh, engagement piece, right? So that if you if you log on to the to the Wi-Fi network, you can get pushed deals when you're in the store. You get you, you know directions when you're in the store. You get a, a different interface when you're in the store uh, when when it launches. So it it can help you find the things you need to do, and then you get a benefit. And every time you come in there, you get a benefit. You get a a, a check-in of sorts to be able to say that you're a loyal customer, and then you get uh, you reap the benefits from that. So I think that there's a long way to educate on this, but you know I've never even once considered using the Sears Wi-Fi hub. Um, as opposed to uh, Rogers connectivity or, or my my carrier's connectivity that you know 3G or LTE. So even I don't know the benefit of why I would do this. So I think that retailers need to be able to explore this a little bit more and, and put a marketing message yeah. on this to their consumers. So maybe this will help. I think this is really interesting. It's a good article or it's a good white paper. So and it's not long. It's like 15 pages, 10, 10 pages. pages. So go yeah nine or ten pages nine pages go to the lbma.com forward slash research look for how brick and mortar retailers can win the omni channel battle it sounds so ominous like omni channel uh, and it's worth a, it's worth a good scan it gives gives some good examples about uh, how how you should be using this if you're in the retail business and that is our resource and that is our show man it seems like just an hour ago we started. Oh, it was, yeah. It was. Well, there's just that much to talk about every week, so um. I'm amazed. I'm amazed. You know, I think that we could probably do a 30 minute daily show. We wouldn't put you through that, but I think we probably could do a 30 minute daily show and a one hour wrap at the end of the week. You know, uh, because that's what uh, that's how much information it moves that fast, and there is that much. It's really hard to decide what to talk about every week because there's just so many things that uh, you know just don't make the cut <laughs> at the end of the day. 
and there's stories that are out there like we haven't even followed up about uh you know black uh, black uh, friday and cyber monday and the impact on location and that those stats are coming through here see it's just it's like it's forgotten i mean that was two weeks ago and it's out of our heads right so uh, you know this is an industry that is under constant barrage and constant change and it's so great to be a part of it and uh, we thank you for welcoming us into your ears or eyes once a week really appreciate it and uh you know we're here getting great feedback I, I love this i you know we've had tweets and emails that come out and say listen you know what i'm frantically trying to catch up i'm at like episode 97 and i'm like come on you can do it you can do it <laughs> yeah i know yeah so uh if you have any suggestions comments uh you know critiques uh compliments <clears throat> uh please reach out you like asif's new lighting look at that it's uh it, he's, he's got light on him it's like oh um, reach out on gmail.com or seat at the LVMA.com. And if you have any stories, suggestions, if you're from a part of the world that we haven't covered yet, Australia, if you're out there, please. We've covered a little bit, but what's going on down there? Reach out. Be our correspondent in Australia. Feed us some stories from around the world. We will cover them here. We want to make sure that this is a global look. Speaking of global looks, we'll have another announcement coming soon around some other stuff that we're working on with the Location-Based Marketing Association and This Week in Location-Based Marketing. So... I uh, really appreciate you guys hanging around. Asif, anything else to add to that, buddy? No, I'm, I'm all good. Uh, you know, I wish you and uh, and all of our viewers and listeners a great week uh, as well. And uh, looking forward to episode 100. Which will be next week. We'll bring it to you, of course, with all the latest news, a good resource, and a stellar guest. Come back and join us for episode number 108 next week. And until then, thank you for watching. Asif, man, safe travels to San Francisco. Enjoy your last road trip of 2012. Thanks.